It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Jeremy Cade, going solo today. Pete should be back for our next show. Here in South Central Pennsylvania, we're surrounded by bountiful country with acre upon acre of apples, peaches, cherries, apricots, and more. Produce production is hard work, requiring dedicated and dependable workers. Perhaps just as important as the weather is to a successful harvest is reliable labor. In the United States, that has come to be migrant workers from Mexico and Central America. For decades, these workers have come to harvest the produce that ends up on our grocery store shelves, returning home to their families when the work is done. In recent years, however, it's not quite so simple. Work visa restrictions, along with the challenges and dangers of crossing the southern border, have caused many workers to either return home and not come back or take up permanent residence in the United States, in many cases separated from their families and living in the shadows, so to speak. In Franklin, Adams, and Cumberland counties, the group Fruit Belt Farm Worker Christian Ministry has taken up the cause of reaching out to these workers as supporters and advocates. On today's show, we're going to meet Rod Runyon, director of FFCM, who will be presenting at the Coyle Free Library in downtown Chambersburg on Monday, February 25th at 6 p.m. Thanks for being on the podcast, Rod. You're welcome. So tell us more about the Fruit Belt Farm Workers Christian Ministry and what led you to uh, be a part of the group. Okay, originally it was founded here in Franklin County in Chambersburg by Reverend Ray Kaufman. Uh, He and several other people noticed that Cumberland, Franklin, and Adams County, all three had large migrant populations coming in for the harvest, as you'd said. And these people would go out and visit in some of the migrant camps. And, but what they found was churches were going to visit in the camps, but there were two or three or four churches could show up at the same day in the same camp. And it was just like a duplication of efforts that didn't need to be done. So they got together and formed a coalition that founded Fruit Mill as kind of a overseer of, of churches, trying to help churches to meet the needs of the workers, but without overwhelming them with a bunch of people showing up at right. once. So we try to encourage churches to contact us when they want to go visit. And we have uh, what we call our friend to camp program that tries to coordinate churches visiting in the migrant camps. Okay. Um, that's that's just one of our programs, but that that has evolved over the years and the whole ministry has evolved over the years. It was founded in 1989. I joined in 1990 when my wife and I returned. Well, we'd been in South America two years. We were about nine months in Southern California. And in the fall of 1990, we became chaplains and translators with Fruit Belt Farmer for Christian Ministry. Okay. After that, I pastored a Spanish church in Gettysburg for seven years from 93 to 2000. Uh, we worked as translators for the Migrant Health Department at their clinic in Gettysburg, and, and we worked for Gettysburg Hospital as translators for several years, while we continued working with Fruit Belt, because it's, at that time, most of the work that we did was in the fall, during the picking season, season. From, from about the middle of August until the end of October, basically, that's the basic season. So it has uh, come to be a year-round uh, Pretty much, because there are workers that stay here, right. including and... Well, other things that need to be done, I don't know if you've ever done any farm work, 
But it doesn't matter the time of the year, whether it's time to plant or what. There's always, always work to be done. Right. So we there are workers that are here year-round. Okay. Right. Plus, we have a number of packing houses in the three counties that uh, they, they put fruit and cold storage and then pack it and ship it all year round. So there are workers, foreign workers here for that also. Okay. Um, how do you think we got to where we are today where we rely so heavily on migrant farm workers? Actually, that started back uh, after the Second World War. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to that, families basically picked their own. There, there weren't any big orchards like we have yeah. now. The families they they really were own. family farms. Yeah, and they, they, they would have friends and people they knew come out and help help pick. Yeah. Uh, after the Second World War, the men that came back didn't want to work in the orchards anyone. Well, some did, but the majority didn't. And that's when the true migrant workers began. And they were usually African-American coming out of uh, Florida or our South, the U.S. South. That lasted, I don't know, I'd say sometime in the 60s, and that's when uh, Hispanic, primarily Mexican work, no, before that was Puerto Rican workers, mm -hmm. because they could get here without any restrictions, or U.S. citizens. Right. And, but then they too, as ec ec economy changed, they got better jobs and were no longer felt they needed to do that kind of work. And that's when Mexicans started to come in and assume those jobs. And that's been the majority of the workers here since sometime in the, in the uh, mid to late 70s and into the 80s. It's been primarily Mexican workers. Now it's, it's starting to switch. There's a lot more workers from other countries in Latin America here. Mm -hmm. And uh, even well, not too many. I've seen a few from from Eastern European countries, but but very few, and they usually don't stay working very long. They they may work one or two seasons, but then they go to something else. Okay. And the workers who came at, during that time, well, frankly, I don't I don't know how to say it. Uh, most of them were undocumented. Yeah, borders were a lot more porous. Right. And in spite of the rhetoric rhetoric about how bad migrant and Another thing I should say, the, the politically correct term has been has changed over the last couple of years. It's now migratory workers because uh -huh. the term migrant, the way it's been used, has, has taken on a bad, yeah, bad connotation. Okay. Uh, but the, the workers, the majority are here to make money right. to send home to families because they don't have the availability for that work. Right. Uh, matter of fact, back a few years ago, before... The wall discussion all came up. Mm -hmm. There, there was talk about building a fence, mm -hmm. and I talked to a number of workers back then that said, "Hey, if they would let me go home every year and come back, I'll build a fence and not charge." <laughs> right. So they they were willing. The thing is, we never had really a guest worker program like they have in other countries. Right. Um, that's something President Bush had suggested and never. Never got to see through. Yeah, uh, there's something like that now called the H-2A program. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I've read that it's not exactly um, affected. Well, they a lot of workers are, or growers are going to it now. Okay. Primarily, especially since uh, the raids that have been happening over the last mm -hmm. uh, three, four years, mm -hmm. the in, immigration raids, and that's in that program, growers have to request. Permission from the from 
Department of Labor to hire workers from another country. And then they contact a contractor in that other country who actually finds workers. The grower will then pay for their visas and, and whatever paperwork they have, pay, pay transportation here mm -hmm. and back. And they're contracted for a specific amount of time. Six, nine months is, is the maximum. Okay. So that but system, does it works it, for these it, farmers? Well, it, it does. Problem is, it's expensive. Uh -huh. um, it's caught the, my last understanding is it's $1,000 or more per worker for the grower to get somebody here. And that number may be wrong. That's, that's Yeah. Okay. I, I, I had read that there were issues with scheduling, like they, they can't necessarily get the workers here when they need them well, the most if they go through this program. Well, sometimes yeah. it depends on, on how early they go and they yeah. apply. And, and uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it, it can be an issue. Yeah. But it's better than having a crew working and immigration come in and arrest them all. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, then, then you're stuck with nobody. Right. And the workers would still rather be able to go back home mm -hmm. and return here year after year. Well, And that's, yeah, like what I was saying is that a lot of them have chosen not to return home because it is so difficult to get back. Yeah. So now they're separated from their families and... Yeah, I, I know guys have been here 15, 16, 17 years without having been home to see their families. Yeah. Um, I mean, one guy that, that left Mexico the day his wife had their first child and didn't see that child till she was 18. Wow. And there, there are other workers that are, I, I got a lot of similar stories. Yeah, I bet. I could tell. But so the workers would rather have some type of program themselves of course but sure. but they need to get here they want to work right when when you make as much a day as they can picking apples mm -hmm. as they would make in a month in Mexico mm -hmm. then that's that's incentive for them to come yep and right or wrong and, and we well we've never accepted government money for our grants or anything okay. uh, because we want to work with the people whether they're legal or illegal and, and to us it doesn't really matter they're human they're right. people right so we want to show them the love of christ the love of jesus to see that we care and we've in the in the past we've had some lawyers helping work with us that that helped with immigration issues and, and we've taken people different places to to philadelphia to fill out paperwork and, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the workers would rather be a, have a cards to come, yeah. you know, to be able to come back and forth. Yeah, it seems the American system has, has made it so this is what people rely on, is, yes. is this. Yeah. And, and the growers up until H2A came in really didn't have any other effective way to hire. Mm -hmm. And even people would, would say, and they still say that, well, the grower needs to check their cards and all that. But when when I first first year we start planted our church in Gettysburg in 1993, we had five guys. I got a call from a grocery store owner, Mexican store owner in Arsville in Adams County, who said, "Hey, I've got five guys from Michoacan in Mexico here that have been here about a week, and I can't afford to feed them any longer. Can you help them find work?" They had come from Mexico. They're, they were all related from the same town. 
back in the Moonies in, in Michoacan, which is a state that borders Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And somebody had come to their village and said, for a certain amount of money, I will take however many of you people can find the money and to, to the United States and get you work and give you all your papers. Okay? These people couldn't read and write. Yeah. At all. A little bit, but not, okay. not really well. And the whole village got together and got enough money for these five guys to come to the United States. They didn't come across the Mexican border. They came on a boat into Florida. And he, true to his word, the guy got them jobs picking oranges and stuff down in Florida. When that season was over, somebody said, hey, up in Pennsylvania, they pick apples now. Because mm -hmm. these guys didn't know what they were going to do. Mm -hmm. So a guy showed up in a van, and other people were getting in his van to go, and they asked, well, how much would, could you help us find work up in Pennsylvania? And he said, sure, come on, come in. So he had 25 people in a 15-passenger van, charged $450 a head to drive them to Pennsylvania and find, help them find jobs. So some of the guys already knew where they were going. They had jobs. Mm -hmm. They worked growers before. So he got up here and, and these were the last five guys in the van. They wanted to be stay together. Guy took them to the store said, well, go on and get a little something to eat or drink and I'm going to a grower down the road here and I'll ask if he, you know, see, I'll get your jobs down there. When he came back a little later, said, and I, uh, he pulled up in front of the store, rolled down his window, said, sorry, he doesn't need anybody and he drove away. He just takes off. I, I knew the, the grocery owner. We were, mm -hmm. Friendly, we weren't necessarily good friends, but we, we knew each other. Um, like I said, we were planning a church. We had rented a facility. Well, it was a one-bedroom apartment that we were using to, for the church. And I told them, you can stay here. We'll, we'll see what we can do to help you find work. So they stayed in that, in, in that one-bedroom apartment, uh, and they all slept in the bedroom. Yeah. They didn't want it, the whole apart, apartment. And, but we took them, finally got them, helped them, to find work, mm -hmm. but I almost got arrested because I didn't have a contractor's license. So federal, it was a federal thing. Uh -huh. and, but as I was helping them fill out paperwork to get their jobs, I looked, going over their papers, and they all had green cards, they had social security cards, and, and all that, and oldest guy was 42, youngest guy was 19, they all had the same birthday. <laughs> they didn't know. Like yeah. I said, they couldn't read. Right. And so that's not as bad as it used to be, but it was still, yeah. that was a fairly common thing. Um, I was a Marine recruiter back in the mid-70s. Mm -hmm. uh, I started with all volunteer, first came in. But I was assigned to a place in, in Central California where there were a lot of migrants. The guy that I replaced was uh, Mexican second generation, or first generation, his parents had moved here from Mexico, okay. but he still spoke Spanish. And he told me where to send people to buy green cards so that I could enlist them in the Marine Corps. <laughs> I never did that. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, it was not a, an uncommon thing. Yeah. Uh, I knew several places, and, and I don't know any any longer in Franklin and Adams counties where people could go and buy their green cards. Yeah. And, but they still are available, and they'll, yeah. they'll have, many of them will have green cards, okay. but, uh, or most of them will. Yeah. Grubbers won't hire anyone without a green card, but there's no way for them to check to see if it's valid or not. Right. Yeah. 
Well, can you can you touch on a day in the life of these workers uh, when the harvest is in full swing, and yeah, and you're I'll, I'll and you're try. going to visit them at their at their camps? I'll try. Generally, and and I'll talk primarily apple season because that's the busiest. Mm-hmm. Guys will get up well, before the sun comes up, like most farmers. Yeah, uh, they'll eat breakfast and go out to the orchards and begin picking, and they'll generally work from from. Can't see, they can't see. Yeah. Till you know, till they can't see anything. Right. And again, depending on the grower, they, they all get a lunch time. Mm-hmm. Uh, some growers allow a little longer, and the guys go back to their, you know, to where they're living to eat. Most of the workers take lunches with them and eat, you know, sitting there in the in the orchards. Mm-hmm. And they, well, there, there's different kinds of trees now. It used to be the trees were were a lot taller. Than they are now, and and workers would be climbing up and down ladders and using what they call costales. It's like a bag bucket combination that they load the apples in. Get almost a bushel of apples in each one. They would climb a ladder, load it up, come back down and dump it, in, empty it into a bin. Uh-huh. Uh, bins. Well, there's two types now because of different production requirements and different plants. Uh, there's wooden bins that are generally 25 bushels and plastic ones that are generally 23 bushels mm-hmm. and the, the workers get a piecework rate during during that they call it by they're working by contract they, they get piecework rate usually paid by by the bin okay. depending on the size of the bin some workers some growers break it down into uh, bushels I mean bushels they pick but the majority it's it's by the bin a worker can make, say, $150 or so a day. It varies. If it's raining, usually the growers won't allow them to work because of possibility of falling off ladders. Mm-hmm. But that's changing someone. I don't know uh, how many of your listeners may have visited through the orchards, and they now can see trees that are staked up like tomato plants. Yeah. And those are a dwarf tree Okay. that... Won't grow very tall, and usually can be picked without ladders. Is that the purpose of growing them? That's, that's that the way. purpose of growing like that. It doesn't. It doesn't take. It's not as as labor intensive, mm-hmm. but they can plant them closer together, so there's roughly the same amount of apples okay. as there are with the bigger trees, the taller trees. Yeah. And but it takes less workers because mm-hmm. they don't have to climb and move the ladders. Okay. But the guys are out and they're they're back home. Uh, usually, say, I, I, during the height of the picking season, before daylight savings time changes, mm-hmm. I usually don't leave home from from Carlisle until about five or five thirty because the guys won't be back for me to visit in their in the labor camps mm-hmm. or in the grower owned housing, whichever way you want to call it, mm-hmm. until uh, about six. Okay. And so, what are you doing when you go visit the camps? Ah, uh, talk to people. Uh-huh. Uh, find out if they have any any needs, anything we can help with. Yeah. We take people, our, our ministry, we have volunteers who will drive people to doctors and dentist appointments and uh, different kinds of things. Find out if there's any of that coming up. And you have different yeah. churches that will come in and serve meals and, and Well, that's like part that. of the Friend of Camp program. Oh, okay. That do that. The guys generally cook for themselves. Okay. The uh, We also offer sweatshirts and blankets. Mm-hmm that, uh, well, the guys that have never been here before, 
don't realize, well, to them it's, it's cold, <laughs> but they don't realize how cold it'll be to them, so they don't have the, the clothing they necessarily need. Yeah, I guess, you know, they're working in the fall, and yeah. you, know, you never know what yeah, it's, it's going to be. It's getting cooler and cooler. Mm -hmm. So we offer the sweatshirts and, and blankets, and, and all those items are, are donated to us by churches. Okay. Uh, our, we had a board meeting last evening, and one of my responsibilities I've got to go through now and figure out how much in-kind donations we get like that, sweatshirts and, and uh, blankets, and we have something we call a health kit, which was originally like a salesman's foot in the door. Okay. Yeah. When we first started, people didn't know who we were. Right. I see these Americans come pound on the door, and they wonder what's going on. Yeah. Matter of fact, the first time I went into a camp, I didn't realize it, but I wore a hat that was the same as the Border Patrol <laughs> hats. Uh -huh. And I heard doors slamming and people going out, saw people going out windows, oh, and they thought I was immigration. But the, the health kits are to say, hey, Originally, we've got a gift for you. We're not we're not here to get anything. These these are presents from churches, right? And uh, we still offer those every year. They they have a towel, uh, soap, washcloth, shaving stuff, toothpaste, toothbrush. You know, and they may not have themselves yet. If they if they just got here, they haven't been able to go purchase those things because they don't bring much with, with them when they travel up. Yeah. Do you see a lot of the same guys? Year after year, or how does it how does it change? It was used to be a lot of the same guys, and they were traveling from the same areas. Uh, there used to be a route up the East Coast, and coming up through the through the Midwest from Texas, and even across the country from California. There were three basic with work all the way. With work, work all the way, and every two two and a half months, they would be changing jobs and moving a little farther. Okay, um, and the work is still basically the same, but things have gotten mixed up with a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, there still are, the, the East Coast stream is still pretty much there, but the others are, are, we still get a few, but not, they're not as solid as they used to be. Yeah. I wonder about your, your interactions with the farmers. Um, what, is, what are their thoughts on the migrant labor that they depend so heavily on. What what do they say needs to happen to make this a, a workable, legal system? What's the best thing that could happen for them? Well, a program that would guarantee the worker, similar to the mm -hmm. H-2A program, but maybe not, not so expensive. The, yeah. Because um, you think it, it, they're the ones that know best what, what needs to be done, but they're also uh, reluctant to speak, I guess, because well, there there are things. a few that aren't. Okay, that's good. Um, that that uh, the Hollowall brothers mm -hmm. in Mendersville are that's a, a fairly large orchard. Brad, I don't know how old he is now, but about my age, so he's late sixties, early seventies now. But he has been uh, visiting. He's visited Congress, uh, testified before Congress, and is writing information all the time about suggestions from growers and that, that he sends to different places. And that, um, it has to be so frustrating. Just I, It seems we've taken leaps backward just yes. in the last couple of years instead of going the direction we need to be going. How can people, uh, if people want to uh, help your organization, how can they reach out to you? Well, one of, one of the first things they can do is, is uh, 
give us money. Yeah. Uh, we're a faith-based nation, mm -hmm. which means that if we don't have money, we don't exist. Yeah. My wife and I have been working, working as faith-based missionaries since 1986. So uh, sometimes things have been pretty tight. Sometimes they've been pretty good. But uh, that's one of the things we need is money. Another thing is our friendly camp program. We have 100-plus camps in the counties we work in. But last year, I think we only had eight churches visiting any of the camps. And it's amazing how much friendship can be built up Mm -hmm. and how much understanding can come out of those those visits. Yeah, given the amount of churches we have in this area, I, I think we should have more than eight on board. Yeah, we should. <laughs> uh, that means we would have to get more money to put on more staff. Because yeah. right now, it's just my wife and I okay. as the only permanent staff. on it. Now, we have volunteer translators and chaplains that work with us in the fall. Uh, we have our board, which is all volunteers. Some of them have been with... Fruit Belt since the beginning, also since 1989, and some some are new, but we have a lot of different people and have had over the years as as uh, board members. We're still looking. If if somebody would like to come alongside and become a board member, mm -hmm. we would we we're always looking for board members. Right now we have eight, and we're set up in our bylaws to have twelve. Okay. And it would it would be nice to be able to spread some of the things we do yeah. among that. Yeah. Um, well, your website is fruitbelt-farmworker.org. So yeah. <laughs> if anybody out there listening is is willing to get involved, that's a, yeah. That's they can start. contact us. Yeah. Yeah. We're always looking for for volunteers to help out with different things. And you guys do important work. I mean, I was I was looking over. Uh, your website and some articles that have been written on your organization and and you guys really are uh, kind of like a family for for these people for the, for the time that they're here so and that's that's important another thing I was looking at your website you had an essay on there that I thought was great uh, welcoming the stranger essay um, by Ali McGraw you told me yes. had written that and uh, I would encourage anyone listening to uh, go to your website and uh, find that essay and read that over yeah, Allie is actually grew up in the orchard. Mm -hmm. She's known workers right. from, from when she was little. Yeah, tell us that so. story. Yeah. Okay, well, I appreciate the work that you do, and I'm glad that you were able to make it into town here to talk with us on the podcast. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing you at the library, Coyle Free Library, on Monday, Monday. at 6 o'clock. Right. Thanks a lot. Thank and you very much. You're welcome. And you can find the Progress Pod online at progresspod.org and send us an email to progresspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.